Charlie, energize. Energize. Good evening. Energize the Lawn Friend podcast is back on the air for one more random show live from the LA radio studio in San Pedro on the butt end of the Vincent Thomas Bridge. Unscripted, uninterrupted, unfettered, unrivaled. Somebody asked me, who does your theme music? And I, it's been so long on and off for five years, I said, that's Aaron David Gleason. He lives in Brooklyn, Greenpoint. His mother is, is an actress. And I was watching Crimes and Misdemeanors the other night, which is one of my top five Woody Allen movies. And there's Aaron's mom, Joanna Gleason. Because she plays Woody's wife, the one that he's kind of fading, his relationship's fading with. <clears throat> anyway, Hello. So, uh, it's November the 28th, 2016. I think this is like our 64th or 65th show. It doesn't matter. Mike Stark behind the glass. He is my brother. We're going to play some tunes, and we're going to talk about whatever comes to mind. I have two in-studio voyeurs this evening. Wendy. Hi, Wendy. Hello. Okay. Wendy gets shy. She could talk. <laughs> she she could talk the polish off a billiard ball. <laughs> but true. but when there's anybody other than one person whose ear gets bent into distorted patterns that they can't even hear anymore, <laughs> if there's one more than one person, she shuts up like a clam. Look so, at her. I've never seen her like that. And and the other one who will have no problem talking to a group, to a pet, to a to legions of shells out on the beach, Joanna Basil. Hi, Joanna. Hi, Lon. Thanks for having me. Well, welcome to your first your first appearance here on Energize. Well, the first appearance here in the studio, yes. That's right. You did make a guest appearance. Mike Stark will remember this. When I moved to Vegas in uh, January of 2014, we did a remote show at Jeff Young former guitarist from Megadeth, lives in Las Vegas. Jeff offered his living room and his Skype facilities. And we did a couple shows via Skype, but it didn't have this. didn't have this warm studio water view vibe and where, the, where we could put the headphones on and really feel like we're doing real radio, right? Anyway, but we did that show and my dad appeared. Because he lives in Vegas and he came. And Joanna from Chicago, where Don and Barbara Friend were born, she came and she kind of vibed with my dad a little bit. Didn't you? I did. Yeah, he dug you. So, you like her? I go, no, don't even go there, Pop. <laughs> Forget it. She she turns men to salt. Oh, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Now, Joanna's proud. She's wearing her Cubs hat. She's going to... She's going to favor us with some musings 
and impressions and sensations about the world championship. Your family, obviously, Cub fans going back, well, this thing is three generations old since they won in 1907, right? So yes. what, was, what was it like for your like your dad? Well, my dad, he's a car guy. He's not a sports fan, okay, really. So. I mean, he gets into it. He was supporting okay. the Cubs for sure. But yeah. my, my mother, right. my mother's father, right. Victor Nolan, right. South Siders. Right. So we're supposed to be Sox fans. I right. believe my grandfather worked at both Comiskey and Wrigley See, Fields. my dad's a South Sider. He's a Sox fan. Yeah. But he was still, you know, he's 87. Still beside himself with whatever joy he shows. You know. Yeah, well, it was he doesn't incredible. get too excited about anything anymore. It's incredible for the city. I think yeah. I think the city needed that. You had the biggest parade, like collection of human beings, since like the Indians went to Mecca in, uh, in it was the, at the seventh, turn of the century. The seventh largest human gathering <laughs> on record for baseball for a team, and the kid who was like one of the heroes. Is from Vegas. Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant. That's my po- guy. He played ball with my nephews. My my nephew Sam struck him out. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so, but Wrigley Field, that vibe. Did you also see Pearl Jam Wrigley Field? I did. No. I did three times. Two different. Those are expensive tickets. Years. How'd you do that? Well, yeah, I, I don't know. I have friends that, that help me out in that department. Okay. And you know what? Actually, my best friend, Corey, right. she it has been in their fan club, and they treat those people really well. The Pearl Jam 10 Club people? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so she always gets her hands on yeah. good seats. So like she's Met not Club, like the Metallica end. Met Club, they, they take good care of their, of their fans. Yeah, so actually, this, this last time, she provided the tickets. They're great seats, but then we get whisked away. I knew so many people Where from Where were you being whisked? To to GA where we stood and danced and you, danced. you know yeah 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 of course did you like when Eddie did the seventh inning stretch well yeah and he shouted out the catcher yes yeah <laughs> that catcher's gonna be like he's floating yeah no he's 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 yeah. fun to watch oh it was great yeah I watched I watched Game Seven at the Distill Bar and and uh, Restaurant in Summerlin. With a bunch of fun people, and uh, that's where Chanel is the bartender, and I've known her for like 14 years in Vegas since I moved there the first time during the first uh, Vegas exile, desert exile, and she was working at the Pink Taco. But there was such a good energy about the Cubs, you know, and, and they're Cleveland fans too, but there's just something like it meant something. It made the world like rotate better. And then, like, shortly after that, there was the election. <laughs> and everything it's like someone, went. It's like someone punches in the gut. And everything went. Like, the, the, the whole planet lost its access. It was, like, really grooving. Wait a minute. This could really help global warming. The Cubs won. Maybe the ice sheets won't melt and won't, we'll have reflection of the heat back out into space and all things in the cosmos. We'll be good again. It's like Carl Sagan was talking to us from beyond the pale. This is Carl Sagan. The Cubs have won. Billions and billions and billions of people around the globe are happy now. There will be peace on Earth. It was almost like there would be peace on Earth. And then the election. <laughs> yep. Definitely took the wind out of my sails. <laughs> oh, man. But we don't get political here on Energize. We get 
high on good music and sharing tales and telling anecdotal stories that bring the essence of why we think we were born to love rock and roll and how that may save the planet. Maybe it will, or maybe not. But you were talking about urinary issues a minute ago, Wendy. (laughs) I wrote it down because Wendy's so random. She says, that's not for public. Don't you feel the urgency more as you get older? She says, it's Joanna. Don't you feel the urgency? And Joanna's like intellectually trying to answer the question. Yes. Well, how did you answer when you said it's getting more urgent urgent now? I think I accidentally started the conversation because I said, admittedly, I said, I'm, it's official. I'm old because today I sneeze and I peed my pants. There you go. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So when you get the Sharing squirt. old lady stories. And the consumption of tea and coffee as a diuretic and that and, you know. And I, oh, I think I drink a lot of water, so it cancels it out. But Wendy's telling me otherwise. Well, try. And she drinks her beer. Let me just throw this <laughs> at you. Try having a prostate. Oh. And then it rings that chime at 2 a.m. And at 4 a.m. And at 6 a.m. Oh, yeah. Try that. Okay, so don't complain. Okay? <laughs> I won't. Anyway. So we went from the world champion Chicago Cubs to, to urine. That's how we segue here at Energize, the Law and Friend podcast. I'm happy that you guys are listening. We stream and then... It's on demand. We live in an on-demand world. I don't even have many notes this evening. I think I'll have his friend stopping by. I got cool tunes to play, and, and I got some sound bites I gathered. Um, fans of Orange is the New Black, I got a really cool sound because you guys know what a Twilight Zone fan I am, you know, my whole life. It's one of the five books I've started that can't seem to finish in the last five years since the last book was published in my life in the Twilight Zone, where there's a metaphor in every episode that I can identify some synchronicity with my own life. <clears throat> but there's there's a cool conflagration in this uh, soundbite I'm going to play you from a show that I binged four seasons in two weeks. And I'll tell you something. You know, I used to think women's prison movies were like titty movies. Like, whoa, God, all right, lesbians, yeah. No, whole new, whole new dimension to relationships. And we're all fans. Mike is a fan. Wendy's a fan. I don't know if Joanna's seen it, but it's just the most brilliant show. Anyway, so first I'm going to... I'm just, I just want to get into a song, and then I want to get into other stuff. But I, we picked this out for you, Joanna. Okay, this tune, because it's vintage Windy City. And then we'll come back, and we have lots to do tonight. I'll figure it out as I go along. It's just like my life. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's Energized Lawn Friend Podcast. We're just beginning. I 
Hey, have you ever seen the Twilight Zone? Up here every day. <laughs> you know, my mother loved it. And there was an episode where this couple wakes up in a strange house. So they go downstairs and they're looking for other people. They can't find any other people. They try to make a call and all the phones are fake. No. Yes. <laughs> and outside, there are fake squirrels, stuffed, posed on fake trees. So at the end, this really huge hand reaches down from the sky and picks them up. And it's a young girl. But she's a giant. And the couple are stuck in her play world so she can make them do whatever she wants. My mother was like you. Similar issues. And she would always say that that's how it felt. Like she was locked in a fake world that no one else was part of. Even though it looked exactly the same. Yeah, I got a lot of prisons in my life, sir. I got the literal one, though. I got the one where I'm on my meds and I can't feel anything. That is not so great. Then I have the worst one, the prison where I'm usually living in, and there's all these people, right, and they're talking and talking and talking, and they cannot agree on what is the truth. That's like that episode. That's exactly right.
Okay, so that's Queen. Now, what you don't get are the little inner inner office chatter, like the water cool shit in between songs, like this one. <laughs> so Chicago starts playing, and Joanna just leans in and says, "You know, Peter Cetera wanted me to have his baby." Jesus. Share. Well, I was running a recording studio in Chicago. Remember when he was doing his solo stuff? Okay. And so he came in, and he was recording there, and I was running the studio. How old were you? Oh, my God. I think 20, 21. Okay, go. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just He would invite me to go watch the Bulls game. The, the Bulls were winning at the time. It was okay. a really awesome time to be in Chicago. Yeah, a guy named Michael Jordan was playing. Michael Jordan. Okay. MJ. <laughs> MJ forever. Yeah, and, and Scottie Pippen. Yeah. Phil Jackson as coach. Yeah, that was amazing. Amazing times to, to be in Chicago. Okay. And, and so we go eat together or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he kind of proposed that we have some kind of relationship that, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. Would... So weren't you into at age 20 having like a rock star, a famous no, because I was just telling Wendy there was a certain level of professionalism that I wanted to keep. Like I didn't, I wasn't sleeping around with with the artists that okay. came through because like everyone was coming through at the time, like Jackson Brown and right. Tori Amos. Remember I told you oh, that story? Yeah. Wow. We were doing live on XRT, okay. and so we were doing live from the studio, Studio X. I think they may have called. What year it. was this? My God, don't ask me those kinds of questions. Well, you're in your 40s. 95? Okay, so. Okay, because Little Earthquakes was 92. Under the Pink was 94. Okay, so it was like. Atlantic Records. Getting close to Boys for Pele around that time. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a long relationship with Tori Amos. She was amazing. Just friends. We. we, we Stage the room. She loved the mic. Oh, she loved the piano, and she was so she's grateful. Very goddess. Yeah, that was super fun. When we did those things, it was amazing. My first day of work, it was Jackson Brown, and I got to sit next to him. Yeah. And I remember. I remember exactly what I was wearing. I remember everything about that experience. So yeah, that was an amazing time. It was like my favorite gig, and it was my first real job. Fantastic. Yeah. But he never got. He never. He never wrangled you did he peter's no none of them none of them really did did. they're just a cute girl studio with smarts and chicago attitude and brash i ran around with with an engineer and and in the end i did end up in a serious relationship with a session singer he's an amazing person we're still friends to this day okay we don't have to go into that yeah anyway so that's uh that was stone cold crazy because when mr healy is is He's he's one of the you know one of the prison uh, counselors. He's talking to Lori Petty's character. And by the way, if she doesn't get an Emmy for her character, it's a shame because Lori Petty is unbelievable as this paranoid schizophrenic. She sees she sees conspiracies everywhere, and it's so such an intimate portrayal between a counselor whose mother is crazy. Stone Cold Crazy and homeless, and, and he really identifies with her, wants to help her. But the Twilight Zone thread is, hey, okay, so like my whole life, and my mom loved the Twilight Zone. Anyway, now, a few years late after, way after that, um, Metallica covered Stone Cold Crazy, and I just can do anything I want on this show, so pff, we're going to play that one now.
Energize the Line Friend Podcast, full of flaws. Go ahead, Mike. Pull it up. <laughs> Neither of the women in this studio are cornflake girls. Never was a cornflake girl. Thought that was a good solution, hanging with the raisin on to the other side Giving us a yo-yo Things are getting kind of gross And I go at sleepy time This is not really This, uh, this, uh, this is not really happening You bet your life it is You bet your life it is
Energize the Lawn Friend podcast. I guess you might say that my um, my relationship with Tori, my friendships with her started after um, her Roxy Little Earthquakes performance in 1991, I believe. She absolutely pulverized this room full of executives and fans. And I was sitting at this table. I was writing a column <clears throat> 92, 91, 92, I was writing a column for Hits Magazine, which everybody in the music business read. And after that show, I totally exalted her <clears throat> as something, this alien force of beauty and poetry. And she played, you know, she was like Elton John. She played the piano with such fierce, in, intense passion and then, of course, I'm was I was groomed on Kate Bush in the seven late seventies, so I thought that oh my, there's another Kate Bush. <clears throat> so I wrote this piece, and then a lunch meeting came, and we had this we had this connection. And then I saw her a couple more times, and each time she played for the first two years I knew her, she only toured with her grand piano, which means that every single eye was on her, and there was nobody to fall back on. There was no rhythm section. There was nobody else but her and those ivories on stage. And she slayed it. The biggest place I saw her in with just a piano was the Greek Theater, I think. And I saw her at this place called the Henry Fonda theater and uh, or the wadsworth and i i took my daughter she was three to see her and i went backstage and she says lana i want to dedicate a song to you tonight what do you want to play and she picked megan up in the air she goes i'm gonna play a song for your dad tonight and i i said and i picked out a b-side because she she was uh, voracious is re recording B-side. She gave her fans so much material. She still gives her fans enormous amounts of material. <clears throat> Listen to some of her B-sides, like thank, you, like Zeppelin's "Thank You," and that's mm -hmm. another story which I could tell uh, later. Which because I kind of arranged for Jimmy Page and Tori Amos to meet each other because I gave Jimmy a copy of her version of "Thank You." And I had learned from a conversation with her earlier that she she was a Led Zeppelin child. And the funniest thing about it is that you're just a fan because you love the music. But somehow this weird life I've had is you become a conduit and people meet each other and, and chemical reactions happen. And it, it's really cool. So... We had this kind of cool bond, and then she's she's preparing to record the Under the Pink record, and she's going to Santa Fe, New Mexico, Taos, New Mexico, to record it with who was her lover at the time, Eric Ross. And th that record, Cornflake Girl, came from that record, and it may it still remains probably my favorite my favorite Tori Amos record, even though she has an enormous catalog of of magnificent she evolves she does angry records she does she does dissonant records she, she's really very special so while i'm at rip magazine and she um, calls my office one day and she says lon it's tori i go hey what's happening she goes i have a really strange request i go whatever you need i'll i'll take care of it well <clears throat> me and eric are we're going to be holed up in taos new mexico for quite some time and 
could you could you get me a couple cases of Nature Valley oats and honey bars? Because they don't have them anywhere there. And I said, done. So I bought two cases and I sent them to the studio in New Mexico. And after that, we had a couple other encounters. And one was um, she, I got the Coverdale page record as an advanced cassette. And I, and we had dinner at the Palm and I invited her back to my office at Rip and we drank uh, whiskey and listen to that record. Uh, nothing happened. I mean, it's Tori Amos. I mean, she, I don't even think that she, normal people get to even touch her. She's just like this ethereal fairy genius. But um, <laughs> I, had a, I have an under the pink poster, which she signed, Wild Turkey and Blad. Love, Tori. It's one of the few pieces that I didn't sell to survive during my lean years, which are still lean, um, on eBay and other places. Anyway, um, so this is Energized Lawn Friend Podcast talking about Tori. And I went to shows like the Alanis Morissette co-headline she did. And that was in right near the beginning. That was 1999 because I remember I had this idea. You know what? I think that that Amazing Grace should be recorded by Kate Bush, Tori Amos, Cheryl Crow, Lannis Morissette, and Beth Beth or Beth Orton, and 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 each one takes a verse. So I had one pitch. I mean, it just like all my ideas ever since Rip Magazine and Arista Record, all my ideas have really gone into the pisser because I don't follow through with anything. But I got to sit with Arthur Spivak, who was Tori's manager back then, and Tori in the dressing room after that show with Lannis. It was Irvine, now, well, Verizon Wireless, Irvine Meadows, which is probably going to tear it down and put up a parking lot. And it's, uh, and I said, I have this idea. And Tori says, if you can get one of the other women, I'm in. And and Arthur said, well, Lon, you got work to do. And, uh, you know, I dropped the ball. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> 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 okay. Anyway, um, I'm going to play uh, a great Alice Cooper track now, and then we're going to talk about Temple of the Dog and Chris Cornell and Eddie Vedder, and Joanna will bring some insight in. But I picked this song out because Alice, I've loved Alice Cooper since I was 19 years old because I went to the Welcome to My Night Beer show 1975 at the Forum, and... Uh, he he really you know he and I we we became friends in 28 years now I just saw him in Chicago two months ago he played in Waukegan Illinois in the birthplace of Ray Bradbury and that was the whole inspiration for going to see Alice there because well I'm a huge Ray Bradbury fan he lived around the corner from me for 10 years so I think I want to go see Alice and I didn't even know Cheryl Cooper. Alice's wife, since that 75 tour, 41 years, she was climbing up the spider web. And they've been married ever since. It's the longest marriage in the history of rock, probably. Um, she's a huge Bradbury fan, too. And she told me this amazing story. And if I did this on the last podcast, I'm sorry. But 
I don't fucking care. It's coming to me again now. So I send Cheryl this email. I go, I'm coming to see Coop because it's Bradbury's hometown. She goes, Lon, I'm going to tell you a story. I was started to date Alice Cooper. I was 18 years old. And he, he calls me one night and he says, I'm taking you to a dinner party at David Bowie's house. And, and uh, Cheryl goes, okay, that sounds cool. And so we end up at David Bowie's house and the dinner guest of honor was Ray Bradbury. Oh, wow. And then she said some other things in the email that were super eccentric because Cheryl's so smart and spirited a human being. But Lon Friend's life, hey, he doesn't make a lot of money, but he tells a lot of stories, cool stories. Okay, let's listen to this Cal Scooper song. It's from The Last Temptation. It's called Stolen Prayer, and it has the coolest Chris Cornell background vocal ever. Well, tell me why 
Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast. Listen to that organ at the that, that that is just one fantastic song. And the fact that Chris Cornell just delivers this earth shattering guest vocal, it ratches it up, right, Joanne? You never heard that song, but I didn't. But you're I'm, a huge Chris fan. And I'm a huge Alice Cooper fan. I've never seen him live. Oh, well. Ever. But yeah, Chris we'll Cornell. So Ernie, Ernie C. Ernie C. from Body Count. He took me to see um, Temple of the Dog recently at the Forum. I heard that was amazing. It was an amazing show. Yeah. My, my favorite part were the covers. They said, you know, he said, oh, we're going to do this to indulge ourselves, but it actually ended up being the highlights of the show for me. What covers? He did um, the song off, I want to say it's off Presence, Led Zeppelin. Okay. Oh. Achilles Last Stand. Okay. Oh my God. It was amazing. It was wow. amazing. Yeah. But you know, the original Temple of the Dog performed at the 1991 Rip Party, October 5th. Eddie, Chris, Matt, Jeff, Stone on stage doing Hunger Strike. And, and the sequence is in the Cameron Crowe film, Pearl Jam 20, which is pff, a great documentary. Oh, yeah. And I got. I got this email, uh, Catherine Terman, former senior editor at RIP, who's uh, turned into Alice Cooper's producer of his radio show for the last several years. Synchronicity is knocking. And uh, an author of a great heavy metal, uh, a biblical heavy metal book. She, 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 I get this email from this guy, Newsday Magazine. It says, Catherine Terman say, we're we're doing a piece on Temple the Dog's return, and they're playing Madison Square Garden. She says, you have a story about a party, and I to- wrote him that story. I never saw the piece, whether my quotes appeared or not, but he was very – it was really cool that, that he asked me, and I, I, I gave him back some – pretty much uh, like the scenario, how it came together, that Susan Silver and Kelly Curtis and I had a conversation about – devoting of the rip anniversary party to the bands of Seattle but it it started it started with Alice and Jane's and then it went to Soundgarden and then it then it went to Pearl Jam and then it just ballooned and that's the same party that Spinal Tap played <laughs> and which is cool because Chris is a huge Spinal Tap fan and um I watched Spinal Tap with Chris at the side of the stage when they were playing. And he was like a kid. It's just in heaven. There's this clip on YouTube about me being interviewed with Lane and Chris and Eddie. Um, it's I look like such a geek because I was. And my hair is really long and stupid. But they all played for the love of a magazine. That was what was kind of cool about that. And here's a trivia question. Who guessed it on bass with Allison Chains? That party. 
Seattle born. I don't know. I wasn't there. Friend of Ernie C. Ah, Duff McKagan. Duff McKagan. He's a good dude. He's a good dude. So that was that was epic. There's another one of those many books that that I can't never write or finish. uh, The Rip Parties. Because Scott Ian, and when I was in Chicago, went to see Anthrax. He's doing this little clip for this rock gods reel that I'm that I put together for my. You know, they gave me an award in Las Vegas, which was really nice. But you're um, a rock god. Yeah, me. Yeah, Michael Anthony was the reason that I said, okay, I'll do this because Michael Anthony got. I mean, I got the same award as Michael Anthony. That's pretty rare. And my brother, the hugest Van Halen fan ever, got to see. Michael Anthony pl- jam play Van Halen songs, vintage songs, in a room that was sort of like 150 people, and he he was in heaven. And I t- well, you know that party, the band Jason Ebbs and and Jeff Young and um, they they got me on stage to to sing at the end, and I sang uh, "Blinded by the Light." I'm sorry, I missed that. Yeah, I I was doing. <laughs> Springsteen, Manfred Mann, Lawn Friend. <laughs> Is there footage of that somewhere? I have it. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing I do really gets out there anymore. I don't have you as my publicist. <laughs> well, no, because you keep your posts private. Yeah, well, I'm a private guy, and I, I have anxiety issues. Don't we all? Well, I don't know. So so anyway, like we were talking tonight just organically about Tori Amos and Chris Cornell and and Alice Cooper. These are these are among my favorite people who are rock star celebrities living in another universe of reality, but humans with really good hearts and good memories. When when Nine Inch Nails and Soundgarden played in Las Vegas year before last, it was Chris's fiftieth birthday. And and I, and I walked back, and he was sitting on the stairs after their set, just in the hallway. He was sitting on the stairs, and I just walked up behind, and I didn't even—he didn't even see me. I just because my voice, people know my voice from being on Headringers Ball, or my—I have a funny voice. I go, "Bet you didn't think you'd see me on your fiftieth birthday," <laughs> and he just turned around with a really tall, glowing smile. Hey. Come here. He gives me a big hug. I go, happy birthday, dude. He goes, you're 50. I'm 60. <laughs> That's right. You turned 60 this year. July. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, you came to my party. Where, where, I did. Where, yeah, Wendy was there, right? Yeah. At the Sugar Mill. And the Guns N' Roses all-girl tribute band Paradise Kitty jammed. And they got me on stage at the end to sing Mama, the vocals to Mama Kin. And I took a little clip and I, I texted it to Steven Tyler, but I don't think he was that impressed with my vocal performance. <laughs> I don't think he was impressed with mine either. Remember that? We sang a song for him. Oh, yeah. On the phone. Yeah, and we, we yeah. Well, he's an alien, too. You know, these are, you know, it's funny, the, the way everything kind of like weaves together in my brain that round of golf with Alice in 2000 in Phoenix, where it turned into an interview that I wrote called Alice Cooper, Prince of Darkness, Lord of Light, where he discussed for the first time ever publicly his Christianity. And he called out Marilyn Manson as like the anti and 
it was, and it led to a, a book called Faith, God, and Rock and Roll, written by Mark Joseph, who now is a big movie producer. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, <laughs> boy, I should be rich. No, <laughs> oh, you should be writing another book. <laughs> I don't know. Nobody reads, Joanna. I Nobody do. reads. I do. They don't read. Oh, I got your book. Did you read it? It's like crickets. Lon, I have Sweet Demotion. Did you read it? <laughs> Tumbleweeds. You know, people have a hard time lying to me. Saying, "Come on, you you read it, right?" I mean, you know, there's blood on those pages. That's that's my my that's my spiritual awakening, my, my misguided delusions of life, and channeling Dimebag Daryl's ghost. Come on, you read it, right? Oh, I'm not to that chapter yet. I love your book. I oh, your introduction. It's what is it? Everybody have ABD? Okay, it's five hundred pages, but come on. No, I I read it the first time, and it, it didn't it didn't resonate me. Oh, the first you time. did read it because you texted me, and then I read it the a second a time. second time, and then I felt like I was there, and I don't I don't know why it resonated with me a second time. But I I read it from cover to cover. I think on yeah. on oh. two plane rides. Yeah, it's a good plane book. No, it's impressive. It's good stuff. Okay, waiting for the third one. Yeah, well, uh, well, let's here's cue this song up, Mike, because I'll give you the hint, and you'll cue this song up. This is what we're going to play next, because the next book. Will I be older, losing my hair, many years from now? Will you still be sending me a Valentine, birthday greetings, bottle of wine? If I stay out till quarter to three, would you lock the door? I'm asking everybody this question. Will you still need me? Will Will you still still feed me when when I'm 64? 64? Let's hear the original, Mike. (laughs) Please. Oh, he's so good. Energize the Lot Fred Podcast. Get older, losing my hair Many years from now Will you still be sending me a valentine? Birthday greetings, bottle of wine If I'd been out till quarter to three Would you lock the door? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me?
built this for Steve a yeah. long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what year it is? Can you tell me something about that guitar? Uh, yeah, I got it in uh, 1970. What year was it? 1975 or six, I think it was. 75 or six, I got that that guitar. So. And um, Tony Zamatis used to build one guitar once every three months in a shed in his back garden. Mm -hmm. He's passed on, of course, now. Yeah. So, but he built guitars for Dylan. He had a book, a photograph of Dylan, Dylan's guitar, George Harrison, mm -hmm. uh, Greg Lake, mm -hmm. just to mention a few. Yeah. And he did one for Mike Rutherford. Yeah. And I liked it very much, and um, and then I got one. Did, I got you, that one. did you play this guitar in Trick of the Tail or Wind and Weather? Um, I think it's on, um, I think it's, it might be on Window Mothering, I'm not sure. Yes, it's entirely possible that I did. Or was it the Hakada I was doing then? Mm. I can't swear that it's used for Voyage of the Accolade. Um, I'm just thinking of the time The period. one that was, that was um, for Voyage of the Acolyte was actually Mike's one. I borrowed Mike's one for okay. that, which is why I got, I got one, that okay. one myself. Okay. But they're both great sounding guitars. It's a wonderful sound. Yeah. So um, it's been played on my things quite a bit. So, you toured with it a lot? Um, I have in recent years, yes. Mm -hmm. I have. Recent years. Excellent. Okay. Um, we also
by Batman Tarzan, still surprised. You won the West in time to be our guest. Name your prize. Drop of wine, glass of beer. What's the time? Rhyme on time is mine, oh mine, oh mine. Five past nine. Wait, wait, let me let me explain something to you. Um, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me, you know? Uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. Uh, Are you employed, sir? Employed? <laughs> you don't go out looking for a job dressed like that, do you? On a weekday? Is this a... What day is this? Well, I do work, sir. So if you don't mind... Well, I do mind. Uh, the dude minds. This will not stand, you know? This aggression will not stand, man. I mean, your wife owes money... My wife! Not the issue here. I hope that someday my wife will learn to live on her allowance, which is ample. But if she does not, that is her problem, not mine. Just as the rug is your problem. Just as every bum's lot in life... It's his own responsibility, regardless of who he chooses to blame. I didn't blame anyone for the loss of my legs. Some Chinaman took them from me in Korea, but I went out and achieved anyway. <laughs> I cannot solve your problem, sir. Only you can. Oh, fuck it. Oh, fuck it. Yes, that's your answer. That's your answer to everything. Tattoo it on your forehead. Your revolution is over, Mr. Lebowski. Condolences! The bomb's lost! 
My advice to you is to do what your parents did. Get a job, sir. The bums will always lose. Do you hear me, Lebowski? The... Cut it. Okay. This is what makes this show so great. It's because we don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have any sponsors. <laughs> and no one gives a shit. This is free expression. Okay, Mike rarely hits the button. Wrong. But let me just go back for a second because he will get the right song that I had suggested after that rap. Because there is, there's always a method to the madness of Lawn Friends Energizer. Right? Okay. So Blood on the Rooftop. So what I played for you was Lisa S. Johnson photographs guitars. She's like the Annie Leibowitz of guitars. She turns the guitars into stars. She And I worked for her for many months on and off. And I do interviews at the NAM show, the Merchants Convention in, Las Vegas, in uh, uh, Anaheim every January, the last three years. And she has a book called 108 Rockstar Guitars, and she's she's been compiling the second book for the last few years. And I've helped her with some few of the interview, getting access to some of these iconic guitars. And one of those was Steve Hackett from Genesis. And so we were in Phoenix, and we're I, I pull out my you know my voice memo on my iPhone, and we just start talking about his Zemitis guitar. Now, I don't have a plan that I'm going to use this down the road. This is provenance that Lisa uses for her book. She she tells exquisite detail. On, I mean, you look up this book, the first book, you'll see she shot Jimmy Page's double neck. She shot Jeff Beck. She shot uh, Slash, Zach Wild, all so many. And then this one, you know, I helped her with the Iron Maiden guitar. She shot all four guitars in one night. And she just goes in and she gets down there with her Nikon. And, oh, we did the Dave Grohl Blue Sapphire, I think it was, together in, at his studio. His, his, his studio in Northridge, California, uh, about three months ago. Anyway, so... Th- this I'll tell you what we did. What what else we discussed? Because Steve Hackett to me, he's you know he's like he's a religious figure in rock and roll. Genesis's Foxtrot altered my consciousness, and then when when Selling England and Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, those records they changed my my perspective on on life, and I I live those records. When you're in your teens. And you're discovering this music. Anybody knows. I mean, metal kids will understand. Oh, first time I heard, you know, Cliff Burton play bass on Ride the Lightning. Yeah, they understand. Punk rocker, you you heard the Clash's first record. You you they get it gets you. Or when you're a teenager, if you discover it then, then okay, so I need to know the essence. So here I am, like forty years later, having a conversation with them in a dressing room in Phoenix. And I'm saying, you know, I have a photograph of um, of you and Mike Rutherford and, and Tony Banks. 
Phil Collins isn't in the photo, but can I show it to you? And I show it to him, and I have this photo. And it's it's the Tower Records Sunset Boulevard on sale day for Wind and Weathering. The album from which that magical cut, Blood on the Rooftops, is from. And he looks at it, and he has his wife, Joe with them because she's they're like they're like two peas in the in the kensington garden pot steve look at this photo he goes lone where did you take this i said tower records it it was like a polaroid or you know a throwaway camera i was nine, twenty, twenty years old 21 you know this is this is golden joe and then Joe says, Steve's ex-wife's got, wouldn't let him have his archives. And <laughs> this is such a great show. Could we have this for his book loan? And I'm, I'm not making a cartoon voice. I'm just trying to be English. <laughs> Out of respect to these English, beautiful English folks. And I said, I'll send it to you right now from my phone. And I sent it. I said, it's my gift. Then I said, I have another picture I want to show you. And I have this picture on my phone. It's a napkin. It's a photograph of a napkin that I got signatures on when Peter Gabriel did his first post-Genesis show at the Roxy, the Bob Ezrin Salisbury Hill record. Mm. And I was there, me and my brother. And I wrote about it in my first book. That's the night where Timmy Capello, the sax player, took us upstairs and we gave him a cheap bottle of champagne, Aste Spumante, because we didn't know what to get. We went to, we we went down the street. He, I go, do you really think we're going to meet Gabe? And he goes, well, Timmy said, and 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 he did. He took us upstairs, and there's like nobody in the dressing room except years later. I found out that Bob Ezrin was standing in the dressing room, and we gave him this. And and I walked in the dressing room, and and Peter Gabriel, I'll never forget. He said, huh, bearing gifts. <laughs> so I have the napkin, and the napkin has these signatures on it. And one where's of the, the napkin? It's 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 in Vegas in my drawer. I didn't sell that <laughs> yet. Frame it or something. Oh, it yeah? should be. It's withered and browned, and but it's 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 got signatures on it. St- Steve Hackett, Anthony Phillips, who predated Hackett. On guitar in Genesis, he's on the Trespass record. Um, Eddie Jobson, these are people I recognized at the Roxy that night because you know people wanted to come out and see what Peter Gabriel was doing. You know, mm-hmm. he disappeared after Genesis, and then he, he comes back with this extraordinary record. He, he had this he had this band that Ezrin told me years later he put together, helped to put together Robert Fripp from King Crimson on guitar, mm-hmm. Jerry Murata on drums, Larry Wires Fast on, on synths, Tony Levin on bass, who's still playing bass with Peter 38, 40 years later, 39 years later, <clears throat> and, um, and Timmy Capello, who's the sax player in the movie Lost Boys. He's the muscular <laughs> sax player. Yes. Right? Yes. I see a familiar face just walked in the studio. Okay, so let me finish the story. Anyway, um, 
And then it, and, and Russell Mail and Ron Mail and they they were the band Sparks and I have this napkin and Steve looks at it and he goes Lone, how did you how did you recognize these people? I said, Well, you were sitting with Anthony Phillips. It was so cool that both Genesis guitars were sitting at the same table. He goes, It's it's amazing you still have this. I go, Yeah. It's amazing that I'm talking to you. It's amazing you sound like Paul McCartney right now. <laughs> anyway, um, it's Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast, and my friend Greg D'Angelo just walked in. Now, this is the song I was going to play about working too hard. Okay? Every morning just to keep a job, I got Pounding in my brain While another day goes down the drain Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast. It's November the 28th. It's after Thanksgiving. I don't do this very often, but when I do, it's always magical because I never know what I'm doing. Want to hear something funny? Ray Bradbury told me this that day I sat in his house when I was working on Tommy Lee's book proposal. And I said, the illustrated man would be kind of a good template. So I went to Ray's house. I put a note in his his big mailbox. I said, can we talk about this book? And sat with him and, and, and... he says, well, I was never into tattoos, but uh, I thought that storytelling from each illustration would be a good symbol. And I said, and, I, and, then, and then he said something to me. He goes, uh, let me, he goes, Lon, here, here's one thing you have to understand. Federico Fellini said this to me on, the movie, on a movie set. He said, if for one instance I ever look like I know what I'm doing, kick me. <laughs> 
So that pretty much, in a nutshell, is Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast. I thought for sure that you that you were stuck, you couldn't show, but you know what? Intuitively, I know because you're a brother. You would get you would get here, Gregory D'Angelo. Hell or high water, man. Hell or high water. Yeah. He lives in like fifty miles. Thank you, brother. Oh, oh it's, it's thank you. So now we're going to devote. Uh-oh. We're going to devote the remainder of this show wow. to telling stories. And here's where I want to start. I showed you my shoes last night, right? I did. Okay. Very handsome. Okay, so it's funny because, you know, I hadn't been to Wendy's house in a few years. And I lived in Long Beach for a while, 2011, 2012. <clears throat> I was going to say, well, I, I drove by the bus stop. I got mug none in 2012. But I'm not going to bring that up. I'm going to keep it light. It's just a bus stop. It's just a bus stop. And it was just a pipe to my side of my head. It's nothing. <laughs> anyway, PTSD, <laughs> small potatoes. So... I, I I said to Greg, I go, look at my shoes. I got these back. They've been sitting in Wendy's closet for like four years. I, I don't even remember I had really? them. But but these are Alice Cooper's shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I said, if you come to do the show with me tomorrow, I'll tell you the story about these shoes. In 2010, Alice Cooper and Bob Ezrin gave me a wonderful project to do. The liner notes to a UK box set called Alice Cooper Old School 1964 to 1974. And I wrote this yearbook, which is about 50 pages. And it was the inside of a desk. And Ernie Cephalou, who designed the original School's Out cover with all the graffiti on it, designed this desk box. And it opened up and it had all this special dvd and b-sides and vinyls great package so when the I, I i worked really hard on it i interviewed the original band with the exception of michael bruce is no longer with us i mean no michael bruce who, which is the one that glenn buxton is no longer with us michael bruce is is with us dennis dunaway they're with us <clears throat> and i finished the project and i get i get this phone call lon it's bob i'm with alice he's going through his closet and then Coop gets on the phone. He goes, "So I'm 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 filling up a suitcase with shoes, pants, golf shoes, balls, clubs. What? Oh, I'm giving them to you." I go, "Really?" He goes, "Yeah, you're gonna get some of my hand-me-downs." I go, "Okay, thanks." And like a week later, this huge purple suitcase arrives via Calico, his daughter. We meet at the Rainbow. She, te- she sends me an email. My dad sent you a suitcase full of stuff. And I <laughs> went through the suitcase, and there were Alice's clothes, <laughs> pants. And they fit me perfectly, like we were the exact same size. And, I, and you know, I'm sorry to say, liquidating throughout my life, I, it, I did put on eBay a couple pairs of his pants. And I said, this is just, these are Alice Cooper's pants. And yeah. I know they bit up to, like, Fifty or sixty dollars, <laughs> but that helped me eat that week there and helped me pay for my daughter's school. She's yeah, going to yeah. expensive school back east in those years. So um, there are these white loafers, <laughs> and I wore them everywhere. They, they have these ribbed soles, 
they were so comfortable. It's like you didn't even feel them. And I didn't see them till last night when I crashed at Wendy's and we went to this benefit that Lanny Cordola put on for his peace children, and did his you wear Afghanistan them? children, which is. And I wore them, and I saw a guy. And Greg came to the studio last night. And he goes, "Where are you? I think I'm in the right place." I go, "It's tomorrow." So even more, <laughs> even more dedication to friendship is the fact that he drove all the way down here again. What but a, he, last night he went and saw some good bands. Right? What, a, what a drummer thing to do! <laughs> it's such a drummer <laughs> thing to do. Oh, anyway, so that's so I had this. I said, "I'll tell you if you come tomorrow," and, and he came. Now. Here's where our relationship starts. I go to a starting point. My first trip to Asia was in 1989, and White Lion had ju- had released a very popular record, and Atlantic Records called and they said we we want a cover story on White Lion, and I said, well, sure, we want you to go to Japan. We'll pay for you to go to Japan, and you'll go and you'll you'll stay with the band and you'll hang out in their hotel. I go. Cool. <laughs> like, right? Right. So mm-hmm. that yeah. trip, Mike Tramp is this six-foot-two, blonde-haired god walking around the streets of Japan, Tokyo, with these little people. And he's sticking out like a sore thumb. So I don't spend all that much time with Mike. I interview him and stuff. Lon, when are we going to talk? So we <laughs> talked. But the guy who – and Vito Brada, he he's – you know, he was – Vito, who he was a he was like Joe Perry, you know, quiet guitar player, right? Didn't talk much. very much to himself. And, and Lomenzo, I lo- I liked Lomenzo. He's character, but the guy who like I don't know, it was like he's not Jewish, but he just felt Jewish to me. Like we had this sort of DNA connection. Was this fucker Greg? And on and off through the years, we never lost touch, and that's why. That's why you're here now, and I'm that's smiling, right. and you're here because that's I right. love you, man. And yeah, that's where it too, started. Man. And we went to Rapungi. <laughs> Remember that <laughs> festival, the Shibuya Coup? I and- do, I do. Yeah, I remember walking up and down those streets, seeing those bands play, getting up and playing with them. You did, didn't oh, you? Yeah, 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 yeah. What a mind a- blow Tokyo is for so the first cool. time. Yeah, it's great. Everybody's <laughs> just like out there going for it. Where did you play? What venue? We, uh, uh, it was the sh- well. I f- the venue was the NHK. NHK, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Those fans, they sang. There's video of it out there. It's like I'm playing Eric Carr's drum set. We we'd flown in. I think it was. I think it took us like 14 hours to get there. Yep. yep. And then they put us in a room and we did interviews for three hours straight away. Yep. And then it went straight to the gig. We were. So exhausted. I think that was the least sleep we had ever had wow. as a band. Wow. It was crazy. But it was great. Rapungi Prince. And, the Rapungi and there Prince. was yeah. and there was this famous bar that the American models would hang out at called the Lexington, Lexington Queen. Queen. Thank you, yes. Was that were you there when Sebastian Bach and Billy Joel were drinking? No, we were there when you two was there, sitting oh. in the corner and we go, Hey guys, hey guys. You know? Dude, yeah, it's awesome. It's sometimes it's, name yeah. dropping is fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm hanging out with Bono, and uh, <laughs> you know, and he said, and he said, friend. so you grew yeah. up in Brooklyn, Queens, yeah, yeah. huh? Yeah. What was that like? Right, gotta go now. See ya. You know what you <laughs> might not know about Greg is he was he was in Anthrax. I was. No, I do know that. Oh. How do you know that, Joe? Because I know that I know some things, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
I did listen to Prince all the way up here, okay? But that's okay. Greg, how, what was the early, early – how did was, – was it just Scott? It was Scott and Danny Loker. Danny Loker, right. And uh, Neil Turbin. Turbin, right. And uh, a guitar player named Greg Walls. And yeah. you were the drummer. And I was the drummer. Yeah. Greg pulled me in and Greg Walls pulled me in. He took me to Toys R Us to see Scott where he was working. Scott was working at Toys R Us. He was working at Toys R Us. That's kind of awesome. <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. See, we that's were, why he's such a freak for we were like 16, Stephen 17 King years books old. and yeah. stuff. 16, 17 years old. You want to be in a band? Sure, I want to be in a band. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go be a band. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, it was great. It's just innocence. Yeah. And wonder, like, well, we, we could do this. Yeah. So you wrote, they wrote songs. You wrote, you helped wrote songs. Yeah, it was our first original band, you know? <laughs> first time, I think, hmm. Pretty close to the first time in the studio, I think. You know, very, very. Was innocent. Johnny Z around yet? Well, um, Johnny Z was around, and uh, I think the way we we first ran into Johnny Z was he was he was promoting shows, and uh, he was doing them at this uh, place in Staten Island called the St. George Theater. So um, he had uh, Raven, Anvil, and. Huh. Maybe Celtic Frost. Okay. Did you guys mm. see that movie about Anvil? Oh, of course. Yeah, I did see that movie about Anvil. Great that documentary. Great, right? It was great. Full it was great. of heart. Yeah. 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 Well, one of the lips is in my Facebook page. He's been on there for like nine years. Lips from Anvil. I go, oh, wow. Lips. Cool. Canadians. Yeah. Yeah, wow. So... How did that segue into White Lion? Was there other bands between Anthrax and White Lion? Uh, there were moments. Uh, nothing that uh, really took a heck of a lot of my attention. But um, you know, Did you work at a Toys R Us? I did not. Where did you work? I worked uh, for my dad who owned an industrial hardware shop. And I used to fix jackhammers and stuff like that. <laughs> what a drummer thing to do. <laughs> totally, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Bang your head! Yeah, yeah. Heavy <laughs> grease, man. Heavy grease. Heavy grease. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. How did, you, how did you meet the the band? How did Mike come from overseas? White Lion? Yeah. White Lion was a village voice. I answered an ad in the village voice. Like Music Connection out yeah, here. Like, yeah, right. Like Music Connection out here. Right. And yeah. Mike was from Denmark? Denmark. Denmark. Yeah, he's from Copenhagen. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Greg, I like your drumming. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. going to throw the world. Yeah. Was yeah. he a James Bond villain? I don't know. My greatest Mike Tramp story is very personal. My daughter was born mm. March oh, 24th, yeah, 1990. Yeah. He was in L.A., and he, like, the day after, he... Physically brought a bouquet of flowers to my wife to the hospital, Cedars Mount Sinai Hospital in in uh, Los Angeles, and that was just a beautiful thing. I can't even remember the last time I saw him. I know that he's played these acoustic gigs, yeah, and I wanted to, I wanted to like because I know we would have such a great warm reunion, but it has been twenty. Over 20 years since I've seen it. He's face. doing great. I saw him a couple of months ago, and uh, he's got a great attitude. He's out there singing the songs and doing his thing and, uh, you know, having a great time. He sounds really good, too. You should look at the stuff on YouTube. He's doing really well. He was such a nice guy. Yeah. You know, he didn't get 
he didn't get too damaged like front men tend to get. <laughs> or maybe he did. You could share a couple of those moments. I, you know, I he think, went off the rails a little bit. I don't think anybody gets out unscathed, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, drummers do sometimes. Uh, do they? Because they're so damaged going in. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. You know my relationship with drummers. Come on. I know you. Ch- I know. Charlie... I've loved Charlie since 88. Since He was the one that I kind of spent the most time with on that U.K. trip, which was my first real trip to the U.K. Well, maybe you were a drummer in a past life or something. Well, you know, yeah. Possibility. Well, I, 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 you know the story about being dropped on my head when I was an infant, right? No. Yeah, my dad dropped me down the stairs. Mm-hmm. I, and what street do we live on? Willoughby. Twilight Zone. <laughs> Next stop, Willoughby. Okay, we're going to talk more, but I'm going to pl- I'm going to play a song from my from my and then this was a big hit and then we're going to come back and talk some more cuz this is energized the Friend podcast and we do whatever we want. Right? right. Oh my god. <laughs>
the great Vito Brada. Energize the Line Friend Podcast, White Line, wait. Okay, so tell us about that record. Okay. Who produced that record? Michael Wagner produced yes. that record. The great with Michael Garth. With Garth Richardson. That's right. That's right. He was the engineer. Or assistant engineer or second engineer. Whatever. But yeah, great team. Garth went on to do the um, Rage Against the Machine record. Mm-hmm. Yes, First he did. one. Yes, he did. Yeah. Was well, was that like dazzling to be in the studio, or was it a lot of work and and interpersonal challenges with the band members and shit? Was it real <sighs> structured, or was it free form? Because Mike Wagner made really sonic sounding. It was albums. very structured. We were overly prepared when we did that record. Rehearsed? Oh my god! Yeah, we rehearsed. We had been playing those songs for three years. You know, um, you gigged a lot around. Well, we had a circuit that we used to hit between Boston and DC, uh-huh. from uh, Narcissus up in Boston to Hammerjacks. You know, down Baltimore. In, in Baltimore. Yeah, and uh, we would just go out and every you know whenever we could book it every six weeks, do the run. When we weren't doing the run, we were rehearsing five days a week. Going over those songs, so like I was saying off mic before, you know, I, I think we must have played that weight about at least a thousand times, you know, at least two dozen different arrangements. You know, we just went through it and through it and through it, and we got we got better. We got better as a band. When you got into the process mm-hmm. of making, distributing, releasing, promoting a record, uh-huh. how, when did it turn to where you say, "Wait a minute." We're gonna have a lot of money, and this this is like <laughs> this is like like we we got a chance at like one in a thousand. Seriously? <laughs> no, I mean seriously. It got played. That record it got played, play, and yeah. and most don't. No, we were very lucky. In fact, I remember uh, one day one of the um, one of the directors at Atlantic. Because uh, that's another thing. We used to go up there a couple of times a week just to show our face, just to be in their face, to say, hey, we want to be the priority. We want to be what you're working, you know. Um, and uh, Were those the Danny Goldberg years? No, it was post-Danny Goldberg. Post-Danny Goldberg. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, you know, we would socialize with uh, people at Atlantic. We became very friendly with them. And uh, I think we were out having drinks one night, and uh, one of them said to me, you don't know how lucky you are. And I go, why is that? And he says, well, you know, we picked which four acts we're going to work this year, and you're one of them. <laughs> I think it was Robert Plant, In Excess, Debbie Gibson, and us for that first record. Wow. So we got we got the push. And wow. she was right. I had no idea how lucky we were at yeah. that very moment. You were naive to the whole political structure, to the crapshoot. 21 years old, 22 years old. No idea what was going on. Had no idea what was going on. Just, okay, is this, is this where the drums go? Okay, great. I'll be there. But wasn't it great to <laughs> yeah. be out on the road it and was have fantastic. fans coming to the yeah. show knowing the songs? Yeah. That's well, we, special. We didn't know any better. We thought, hey, well, hey, we're going to go make a record and everybody's going to love it and we're going to be big rock stars and it's going to be like that for the rest of our lives. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> Got a little piece of it. It was okay. Yeah. No complaints. So when did it kind of end? And then where did you go? We got to catch up. Yeah. Well, it ended in 91. Okay. And um, I went off to play with Zach Wilde with James Lomenzo 
and okay. We, and we really started playing with Zach. There was kind of an overlap. We started playing with Zach in 1989 and uh, had this band um, that traveled and played um, right up until... Um, but 91 was No More Tears, right? No More Tears, yeah. Yeah, cause, so yeah. he was gone with Ozzy. He was gone with Ozzy, yeah. yeah. So when he was when he was off, we would play. Sometimes he would travel out and we would play on his off days. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, wherever we could pick things up and we would be writing and demoing stuff and getting ready to do a record. And uh, we did that up until um, 1994 when I, you know, I left and uh, they went on. Just had a parting of the ways. So let's encapsulate the last 20 years of your life, how you oh reinvented and done. You did other things. Uh, yeah. Can't rely on yeah. know, rock and roll. Per- um, when I left Zach's band, I opened a studio. Um, I had it for hmm, about 15 years. Uh, it grew to be quite large, and I got tired of it and yeah. wound up selling it. That's about as quick as I could say that. Mm-hmm. But it was a great education. I um, got to sit next to some incredible engineers uh, and uh, learn stuff that there's no way I would have ever gotten to learn if uh, I didn't kind of buy my way in. So you started <laughs> using your talents to, like, teach and behind – you got behind the scene well, instead of I, being up front playing. Yeah, not so much drumming. teaching. I was just engineering and working as right. a studio owner and an independent engineer and uh, did hundreds of records. I mean, a lot of stuff, you know, hundreds of recordings, I should say. Um, and I really enjoyed it. You know, got into my head. Where did you live all this time? Studio City. <laughs> yeah, that's where Joe jo lived there, and I was born in Sherman Oaks. I mean, yeah. I was raised in Sherman yeah. Oaks. I'm in Sherman Oaks. You're in Sherman Oaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Jerry's Deli. Jerry's Deli. Sure, sure. Yeah. Lukather still lives on off of Vineland. Yeah. In the house he bought with the original Toto Man. I, I pass him when I go down to Starbucks yeah. every morning. <laughs> yeah. You know, Lon, I've bought this house twice. After the first divorce, right. I had to buy it again. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's funny. He's the best. You're yeah. you're in my neighborhood of my youth. Yeah. I went to Henry's Tacos like a month ago. Hello. There it is. Totally thought of you. Totally. I did. I sent you a, pic- a picture. Tahunga and Magnolia is that? Or is it Colfax? Tahunga and Moore Park. Tahunga and Moore Well, Park, the right? original Henry's was there for 50 years, wow. and then... It closed, and then they opened this little kiosk across the street right. next to the Italian place where right. Robert Blake killed the chick in the alley. Right, right, right. right? Vitello's? Vitello's. Vitello's, yeah. Good Vitello's. Joe, very good. I yeah. know things. Luke took me there with his kids one night a few years ago. He goes, we're going to Vitello's. It's great. It's great, man. It's great, man. It's going to be They got some cool cats there. Come check it out. <laughs> You're going to dig it. It's really awesome. He's the best. He is the best. Yeah. Now, we're in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. San Pedro, Long mm-hmm. Beach area. And yeah, I'm getting my Kaiser Soze vibe down here. It's, really it's cool. for Kaiser yeah. Soze vibe because of all the industrial yeah. out there. Dude, yeah. Kai came over the bridge, and they're like building another ramp or something. Yeah. I hadn't been across the bridge coming from Long Beach to San Pedro in, in a few years. Yeah. I come from the other direction whenever I come here on the freeway. Whoa, it's 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 so cinematic this area. It is, you know, it's incredible. They filmed the scene when De Niro and Pacino met in uh, Heat. Heat. They yeah. filmed that here. Yeah, that's awesome. So there's a band that kind of Wendy and her brother sort of grew up around here in Long Beach. Saw them at Fingerprints and they're nobody, and they're called the Rival Sons, mm. and they have gone global. Yeah. And we discussed them last night because you love them. I think they're great. Yeah, I really 
Enjoy. And my weird story about the Rival Sons is is, is uh, I went to see um, Ray Lamontagne with my morning jacket as his backup band wow. at, at the Pearl at the Palms uh-huh. in Vegas about uh-huh. two months ago. And the uh, Danny Zalesco, the promoter, and Billy Kahn, they arranged for me to sit next to a band that wants to see the show because this band that wants to see the show is playing the MGM Grand the next night, the right, arena. Right. And, 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 and I don't know who the band is. They don't tell me. So Billy Kahn sends me a text. He goes, so you know you're sitting next to the Rival Sons. I go, I don't even I, – I, I wouldn't spot them in the lineup. But they're from Long Beach. Yeah. I guarantee you I could drop a name that they're all going to light up. So I, I sat next to these four guys, and they're – and I just turned to one of them. I go, Long Beach. And they look at me. I go, Jar Rittermall. And they all went, that's Wendy's brother. And they all went, you know Jar? You know him? I go, yeah. His sister's been a friend of mine for 30 years. Fucking, we love him, man. And then one of them starts telling me, every time I got a new, uh, test out a new disc, I take it over to Jar's system and listen to it on his stereo. So, Wendy, just offer one thought about Rival Sons and how they came from your neighborhood and your brother. How how long has he known them? I really have no idea, Lon. Okay, great. Uh Thanks for contributing. (laughs) (laughs) She could talk the polish off a golf ball. But here she has nothing to say. <laughs> Nobody is more long with Didn't she bend your ear last night, Greg? I was bit? having a great time. Yeah. Yeah. But she has a, I have no idea. Thanks for letting me I hang really, Actually, I really don't know when they knew each other. And I was turned on to Rival Sons before I knew my brother knew them really? personally. And I had seen uh. them. Danielle and I saw them on the Queen Mary. Okay. And then oh, cool. I was telling my brother, oh, yeah, man, Rival Sons. We're really digging. He goes, I know all those guys. That's it. See, that's what I needed, that insight. That's it. And we saw them at Fingerprints. Right. That's right, which is the record store here. That Fourth Street. Fourth Street record store that Foo Fighters played in and Joseph, our friend Joseph Arthur played in. Lou Reed did a, did, yes. did a, a poetry talking there. Wow. Yeah. That must have been cool. That was great. <laughs> yeah. So I've got here on my Apple Music, uh, you're going to pick the tune. Okay. I got the Hollow Bones record. I got uh-huh. Open My Eyes. Being Hollow Bones is 2016. What do you want to hear? You want to hear like Tied Up, Thundering Voices, Baby Boy, Pretty Face, Fade Out. We'll just pick one. I'm going to let you pick one. Okay. Thundering Voices. Here it is. Ready? Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast, Rival Sons.
See, that's what's so great about being spontaneous is let's just pick a song and just see how great this band is. We'll just pick a track, boom. And then the riff, it's all about the riff. It's another book that I've been writing. It's all about the riff. Should I take notes? The quantum riff. Mm. You have to pee. Go pee. Oh, we start talking about his books and he tells me to leave. (laughs) I've been discussing all of the un- Unrealized creative projects of my last twenty years. You have Talk a st- about your book. you had a studio. You were you were involved. Well, I'm involved too. You know, some sometimes just being me. That that's my job. Yeah. Just being lawn friend. Yeah. And it and if and if you don't earn a living for a few years, then it's and somehow you manage to pay the bills and people think of you fondly, like. When I see you or Fred Corey or the drummers that Charlie or the drummers that Brother I love. Brother Fred. Brother Fred, yeah. Fred Corey's been down here. He I drove bet. all the way here. I bet he did. We had a good time. Yeah. That was fun. He took me to a hockey game recently. Yeah. Fred's big with the uh, Kings, man. Yeah. Introduced me to uh, to the media guy. He said, this is how things go with me. Okay, Media guy. Lon, this is the media guy. He goes, you're Lon Friend, and Fred goes, whatever Fred says, we listen to. And Fred goes, Lon should write about the 50th anniversary of the King, something cool about them. I said, I'll do it. I'll write about the rock and roll spirit of the Kings. He goes, perfect. So I send the guy, he gives me his email, send him a long email. Here's what I'd like to do. Luke Robitaille had a subscription to Rip Magazine. He's a huge <laughs> Guns N' Roses fan. I'll interview him, a couple of the, guy, the uh, people in the music business, Brian Slagle, Metal Blade Records, one of my oldest friends, a, a pure hockey fan, great guy. He's been responsible for so much success in bands over the last 30 years. I'll interview him and I long email a month. I'm still waiting for a response. <laughs> wow. And I'm All not right. and I'm not the guy that goes, Hey Fred, uh your dude, John or what he never even responded to my pitch. So Fred, I said I, What's he, up, Fred? <laughs> but, but I don't care. Hey Fred, if you're listening, 
<laughs> See, this is why I'm a detached guy. I put it out there, and I don't. I'm not the guy who like calls and texts eight times. If you don't respond the first time, then the universe has a reason for right. there not being a connection. Mm. And it's very possible because of emails to just get lost or they wind up in spam or in junk. But I don't know. How many times did you go visit the label and then you became one of the four that they were working yeah. here? Yeah. I ch- how hard did you have to work? Well, I don't know. What do they say? You do something 21 times in a row and it becomes a habit? Mm-hmm. See, I lost my something hustle, like Greg. That. I, lo- I I started my career with Hustler, yeah. and I lost my hustle. Yeah. That's why you surround yourself with people that help you hustle. Well, I surround myself with good people, good people that are bridges. And the hustle would welcome you back. Yeah, but I don't Absolutely. have it in me. I don't have the hustle. Well, you never know. I mean, it just could be just like one turn. This is your baby step. One this turn is the fingers in the air, man. This is your baby step into the hustle. <laughs> this podcast, I'm happier here, yeah. and I make no money. I'm happier here doing this with Mike Stark at his beautiful studio here and inviting people that I care about just to have conversations. That's what you got to do, man. Sometimes the hustle comes to you. I mean, I was walking down to get my mail one day. And I uh, crossed Stephen Piercy, and he said, hey, what are you doing? Wait, you just met him happenstance? Well, we knew each other, but he goes, yeah, what are you doing? You want to play drums? And I said, yeah. Well, how long ago was that? Six or seven years and ago. And you've been playing drums with Piercy ever since? Ever since. Synchronicity. And you ever and since. him have a really good chemistry, and you kind of get past that whole Stephen Rockstar thing because he, he's, he's not like that with me. He's an abra- he, he's, he's totally honest with me. He, he's he's, he's like got some abrasions from mm. from a long career. Hey, come on, Bon Jovi all? opened for Rat, so they had a pretty big yeah. they had a pretty big run. Stephen's a real deal, man. I mean, you know, however you want to look at it, Stephen is the real deal. Well, you guys played Vegas. I went to see you at Vamped at Corey Coker's Vamped and. You killed it, man. Steven was great that night. Yeah, he's great. He was great. He's How come great. he wears brass knuckles on stage? <laughs> he, they're not brass knuckles. They're mic knuckles. That's funny. Yeah, he <laughs> makes those. That's his invention. Really? Yeah, you could get them on his website. Mike Knuckles. Mike Knuckles. Wasn't he a great film producer, the, the director that made The Graduate? Mike Nichols. <laughs> oh, that's Nichols. <laughs> now that's funny. <laughs> that's <laughs> Now that's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, because he has a—he's got a vibe up there, and yeah. he, you know he's been doing this for forty years, so he's got a vibe. Totally, and he looks fucking good, man. He's old as me. Yeah, he looks good. Well, he's rocking. Just did a new record. Well, you're hitting hard. You're hitting him hard. I love doing it. It's. It's I'm it's full circle. I'm back to doing it for the You're right reasons. You're a terrific reasons. drummer, Greg. Oh, thank you. You keep That's the very beat, kind. man. Keep the beat. It's very kind. What's a rock band without a great drummer? I don't know. A uh, rock band with a bad drummer? A shitty band. <laughs> a shitty band. A bluegrass band. <laughs> your your Spinal Tap. Your drummer keeps dying on you. Mm. Right. Anyway. Wow. Two hours. Greg, thank you for coming up. Hey. You're awesome, Anytime. dude. Wendy, thank you for the rival son's perspective. Well, and thank you for having me. <laughs> Joe, Joanna, coming here all the way from Chicago. <laughs> Southside Beach. I wish I flew in straight from Chicago. No, I was in the same traffic Greg was. Can I tell you a quick <laughs> Billy Corgan story? Yes, please. I've got some myself. So I, I used to do the interviews 
for the Rock Walk Inductions at the Guitar Center. Oh, really? I was the archivist for like five years. Wow. Dave Weiderman paid me to uh-huh. come and do interviews. And Robert Knight would take the photos, and I would do video interviews. And there's an archive somewhere with some pretty cool stuff. And um, the, uh, the induction – wait a second. I just lost my train of thought. Who was I just talking about? The Billy Corgan. Video. So the induction for Billy Corgan and Jimmy Chamberlain for the Smashing Pump, they, they, those two were there. And I never I never asked any of these guys for autographs. But I I was a fan of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. That record was, oh, yeah, ha- me was, too. was, was really hit me at a time where I mean, it was a heavy record. And after the interview, I said uh, I had a po- they had printed up posters for the Guitar Center, Rock Walk, and there's and I go, Billy. I really, I don't do this, but a lot. But and he's and he signs Toulon, and he spells my name with two ends. Hmm. And I go, no, but how did you know that? He goes, I read Rip Magazine. Hmm. I worked at a record store in Chicago. I had every issue. Mm-hmm. And I went, really? He goes, yeah, Lon. And I go, thanks, dude. Thank you. And that right there is why you should be writing a third book. Yeah. So, Melancholy, is that one of your Desert Island records? Top five Desert Island records. What are your top five? And how many do you get? Top five Desert Island records? Yeah. That's really hard. When you, Wow. I don't know, dude. Abbey Road. Mm-hmm. That was my first record. It was? Yeah. My first record was Meet the Beatles really? after the Ed Sullivan show. I was seven. Wow. I walked across the street to the Fashion Square Mall. My mom gave me money. Wow. Yeah. Chicken Soup for the Rubber Soul chapter of Planet Rock. I remember my dad bringing me down yeah. to uh, Greenwich Village to get Abbey Road. I was six years old. Pretty cool. Well, in the end, the love you take <laughs> is equal to the love you make. Mm. And there's a lot of love in yeah. this room. Indeed. Okay, that's a wrap. November 28th, 2016, Energize the Lawn Friend Podcast. So we're going to go out with some Zeppelin because that's the band that Greg. And talk about having a drummer as an idol. Me and every other drummer. Yeah. <laughs> and, and every fan. And we mentioned this track earlier in the evening. Temple of the Dog covered it. So we're... We're going we're gonna to head out with some Achilles, and thank you. I don't know who was ever listening. I'm blessed for you. Go out there, listen to music. The world will survive. Peace. 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 And love. <laughs> and love. Yeah. We need it. <laughs> we need it. Big time. Big time.